This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Audible. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com slash fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hi, bro. Hi, Allison. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about you and your schmoopy and how you compare to the average couple when it comes to managing your money. We'll also answer your question about bro's favorite retirement calculators and also, which is his favorite child? All that and more <laughs> on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers Answers, and this week's question comes from Andrew on Twitter. Yes, we are on Twitter at Answers Podcast. So, Andrew writes, what are Robert's favorite retirement calculators? Well, Andrew, you're probably asking because I often recommend that people use retirement calculators to make sure that they're on track. The thing is, no single retirement calculator does a perfect job, so I recommend that you use a few and look for a consensus. If most of them say that you're on track, you're probably okay. If most of them say you're behind, take the hint. So, the first one I'm going to mention comes from a company called CalcXML. They make all kinds of retirement calculators. But the one I'm going to give you has a long URL, and it's special because they let me kind of customize it for them, for our early retirement subscribers. Oh. But you don't have to be a subscriber to use it. So, here's the URL, www.calcxml.com forward slash calculators forward slash retirement dash planning question mark SKN equals 606. And speaking of our Twitter account, maybe we'll tweet that out. <laughs> yeah, why don't we go ahead, uh, we'll share that on social media. Uh, there you go. And uh, if you are not on social media, and just hit rewind. You weren't, yeah, hit rewind, <laughs> or just email us and I'll send it to you as well. Anyways, the thing that I like the most about this calculator is what they let me do is break up spending in retirement into three periods. The problem with many retirement calculators is it assumes that your retirement expenses go up each and every year. And the, and the truth is, for most people, that is not the case. As we retire and then as we age, our expenses drop. We pay off the mortgage. We don't spend as much on food and clothing and transportation and things like that. Healthcare is the one thing where expenses do go up, but generally, our spending goes down. The problem is, when you assume that your spending is going to go up every year in retirement, it overstates how much you need to save by 10 to 20%. So that's what I like about this calculator. So if you use another calculator that assumes expenses go up, just know that it's going to say that you need more than you probably do. Now, one drawback to this calculator is it is what's known as a straight return calculator. You put in what your assumed return from your portfolio is going to be. I would rec recommend no more than between 4 and 6%. And it assumes you're going to earn that amount each and every year. But of course, we know that's not really what happens. So, a couple of calculators that do something different is that they use historical returns. And a couple of those are www.firecalc.com. The other one is www.cfiresim.com. That's C F I R E S I M.com. The FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And what they do is they use all the historical returns from all the way back to 1871 for cash, stocks, bonds, and inflation. And let's say you tell the calculator, I'm going to simulate a 30-year retirement. It says, OK, what if you retired in 1871? Would you have survived for 30 years? What about 1872? Would you survive? What about 1873? And then it says basically something like, in 90% of the historical simulations, you would have been OK. Or in 20% of the simulations, you would have been OK, which tells you maybe you're not doing something quite right. So, I like those because it actually runs through what actually happened in history. And then the third option is something called Monte Carlo simulations. So, it's basically 
they randomize various factors. Inflation could be life expectancy, it could be your returns, uh, within some logical parameters, and it runs through maybe a thousand simulations and tells you, well, 90% of the time you would have been okay. Uh, and one of those is the Flexible Retirement Planner at FlexibleRetirementPlanner.com. A couple others that I like, the Ultimate Retirement Calculator at FinancialMentor.com. I like TR Price's um, Retirement Income Calculator if you are retired. Um, and another one that I really like if you're retired, if you're wondering how much can I take from my portfolio each year and feel reasonably sure it's going to last as long as I do, is a tool created by David Blanchett, who is the Director of Retirement Research at Morningstar. It's just a spreadsheet, but you put in various things about yourself, and it gives you basically how much you can take out of your portfolio in that year for your retirement. And you can find that at www.davidmblanchett.com forward slash tools. Blanchett is spelled B-L-A-N-C-H-E-T-T. So I'm just going to apologize now to everyone who listens to the podcast <laughs> while they are driving the car, running, walking the dog, mowing the lawn. I think that covers probably 90% of podcast listeners. We're going to go ahead and we'll post the links to Facebook and Twitter. And uh, if you don't have a Twitter account, you can still go look at our Twitter account and pull the or links down. Or email us, and I'll email them back to you. You'll do it. I'll do it. Allison will email them back to you. Let's ha- let's not pretend who keeps the wheels on this wagon. That is true. Although, if knowing that this is going to happen, I would feel guilty if you have to respond to all those emails. So I'll jump in. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for taking one for the team. One for once. <laughs> Thanks to Audible for supporting this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original shows, news, comedy, and more. I didn't know about the and more, by the way. I thought it was just books. Uh, But they have pretty much anything. So, if you're looking for a book to listen to, a Southwick favorite is Assassination Vacation by Sarah Vowell. It's a fascinating read, and it looks at the assassinations of Lincoln, McKinley, and Garfield. It gets a little political, but the history stuff is really good. So, when it comes to audiobooks, that's a Southwick road trip favorite. Uh, For our audience, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. Just go to audible.com slash fool. Oh, February. Did you know, bro, that February 7th is like the most traffic day for sites like Match.com and other... Like, it's just February is just all about love and people are like, a week from now, I need a date. I better find someone. I think so. I think they just kind of feel like, I better update my profile. Oh, did I say that out loud? No. No, I think people. Well, I think people are like, all right. I spent January getting fit. Now Valentine's is around the corner. I'm ready to put myself on the market. And yeah, I guess that's what they do. Because like Valentine's Day really isn't that big of a deal, right? Like when you're in a relationship, it's not really that big of a deal. It could be. It was a big deal to me before we had kids. Once we had kids, it made it harder to be a big deal. Kids. Kids. Especially if your kid's birthday is the 13th. Oh, is it? We have a kid whose birthday is the 10th, yeah. Kids. Kids. They ruin everything. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, all right. So, this week, in the spirit of love, we are going to look at some of the statistics and science around couples and money. So, I have dug up a lot of studies in true Allison form that I'm just going to throw at you guys. A lot. I'm going to lob some stats at bro, and then he's going to respond to them. And then we have a show. There we go. And and then we're done for the week. You'll definitely get your money's worth. This is how the sausage is made. Okay, so let's start with something light. Valentine's Day spending. 
According to the National Retail Federation, the average man who's shopping for a significant other will spend nearly twice as much as the average woman. They will spend, on average, $133 compared to the woman's $62. Wow. Yeah, you guys are so generous. Yeah, I was just thinking, I gotta up my spending. I think <laughs> you want to you want to guess what the top the top two gifts are for Valentine's Day. I, it's got to be flowers and candy. It is. It's flowers and candy. <laughs> Do you have a preference? Are you a flowers girl or a, or a candy girl? Uh, or Ron, neither. No, Ron gives me flowers every year. Yeah. I'm a flowers girl, but for the most part, we celebrate Valentine's Day by going out for a nice dinner. Like that's, that's our that's our thing. We like to go out to eat. But yeah, 50% on candy, uh, 50% will be spent on candy, and 48 will be spent on flowers. Very Do you guys nice. already know what you're going to do? Plan a birthday present for my son? Ugh. <laughs> I have some ideas. I have some ideas. We'll see what happens. Your wife doesn't listen to the show. You can say what those ideas are. <laughs> well, it involves probably going away for the weekend. Ooh. But it's hard because that involves finding people to watch the kids. So we'll see. They're old enough. Uh, not to be uh, home alone overnight. Really? Yeah. Oh. No. All right. Well, let's move on to something serious. We all know the trope that the single thing that couples fight about the most is money, right? Right. Not so. Really? <laughs> so, according to an Ameriprise study, they looked at 1,500 couples ranging from 25 to 70%, and 88% of them said that they are happy with the way they manage their money in their relationships, and 68% say that they communicate well about their dollars. Mm. You don't believe that? Mm. That was a that was a I don't believe that grumble. Well, I do think money is a big source of tension. It might be more along the lines of what's I, I'm sure money is a big factor behind people who are unhappy and who are getting divorced. Maybe that's more accurate. I also think some people might be uh, they should be talking more about money and should be fighting more about money because they're probably not saving enough for retirement. But that is a topic we'll get into later in the show. Well, 51% of respondents to the TD Love and Money study said that they argue less than every six months about money. And it turns out the older you get, the less you argue, argue about money, which makes sense. That makes sense. Once you yeah. have more money, there's, you know. Once you have more of it, there's less to argue about, I guess. <laughs> 24% of couples aged 18 to 34 argue at least once a week about money. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised. That's crazy. All right. in, some of, in some of the research that we looked at for this uh, episode that I'm not sure we'll reference later is that basically people who have more money are less likely to get divorced. It is definitely does seem like the more money you have, the, the less chances are for that type of friction. Yeah. And I did find one man, money magazine poll that kind of went against all the other studies. They looked at uh, over a thousand married couples ages 25 and had household incomes of over 50,000. And so they looked how they managed their finances. And they said that 70% of couples argued about money more than household chores, togetherness, sex, and snoring, and what's for dinner. Well, sex and snoring is definitely a bad thing to be doing at the same time, so I'd argue about that, too. <laughs> uh, they also said, this study also got kind of funny because it, it trotted out some other stats that were kind of in conflict with other things. Uh, they argued that men with higher-earning wives also reported hotter special hug times. Really? That they, that they had a better time. So, But this is hilariously in conflict with the University of Chicago study, and they looked at 4,000 couples in America, and it found that once a woman started to earn more than her husband, divorce rates increased, and Cornell found that men who are completely dependent on their girlfriends or wives are five times more likely to cheat than men who earn the same amount as their partners. So, That's yes. idle, idle hands are the devil's workshop, yes. as it says in, in Proverbs. So, while it's true that these men could have 
have hotter sex lives like Money proposed. It's just not with their wives. Right. Is that how you can resolve that? No. <laughs> Now we're going to move on to retirement savings, and we're going to look at the average and the median, because why not? Sure. Economic Policy Institute and the Fed found that nearly half of working families had nothing saved in their retirement accounts, and the median was only $5,000. This was in 2013. So, when you look at the average, that was the median, $5,000. The average for all families is about $96,000. Right. So, however you slice it, that's not enough. For most people. And that's why I say maybe these people should be talking more about money. And if they did have these discussions, it would probably <laughs> lead to some uncomfortable discussions because it leads to some uncomfortable choices, perhaps. But um, just because, obviously, because people aren't talking money doesn't mean it's because their finances are in good order. When we're talking about average save for retirement, age is probably a pretty huge factor in this. So yeah. let me break it down. If you are between the ages of 32 and 37, the average is $31,600. Yep. If you are between 38 and 43, the average is $67,300. Between 44 and 49, it's $81,300. If you are between 50 and 55, it's roughly 125000 And if you are 56 to 61, it's about 164,000 saved up. Right. So, and these are as of 2013. The market's yep. done better since then, so people have a little bit more. But you think about as a rough rule of thumb that when you retire, you could take 4% out of your portfolio. If you're going into retirement with even $200,000, that's only $8,000 a year. That's not a Oof, lot of money. That's rough. Right. When you put it that way, bro. Keep on working. Keep on working. <laughs> Win the lottery. All right, let's move on to. Financial infidelity. Mm. So it turns out that 90% of people, when it comes to financial secrets, don't have them. Really? Yeah. Isn't and that we nice? have, I have heard other stats about that, and I may even mentioned it once in a previous episode how um, there is actually a lot of financial infidelity. So I'm glad to see that this is finding a well, different result. Yeah. So the TD Bank Love study, Love and Money report that I mentioned before, found that 90% of people don't keep financial secrets. However, the most common financial secrets were, do you want to guess? Uh, well, probably secret purchases or something like that. So the number one is a secret bank account. Mm. Significant credit card debt was number two, and a bad credit score was 32%. Wow. 15% of those people keeping a secret never plan to come clean. I may have mentioned this before, too, but in discussions with some Motley Fool members, more often men than women, the, the guy will say, my wife doesn't know about this account because the wife is not as comfortable with the risk profile of buying a lot of the stocks that he is buying. So he just does it on the side. That's so funny. Yeah. That's so like It's not like, oh, this is the account that I use for my mistress to keep her apartment in the city. <laughs> Like it's this honey, is the account that I Honey, are you investing in Facebook again? No, honey, no, no. <laughs> I told you to knock before you enter. Yeah, <laughs> it's not what it looks like. We're just friends. <laughs> All right, let's move on. So it turns out that n no one can agree on who is actually making the financial decisions in the family. Yet another, not another great sign for not someone's finances. So, BMO Private Bank did a study, and they found that two-thirds... Now, here's a lot of numbers, so try to stay with me. Two-thirds of married men report making the investment decisions primarily by themselves. 
two-thirds of men saying, I do it on my own. But only 13% of married women agreed with that, <laughs> that their partner was the primary decision maker. Uh, Conversely, when married women self-identified as the primary decision maker, which is about 38% of the time, only 5% of the men agreed. (laughs) (laughs) This disconnect also extends to making pricey purchases. 62% of married men say they were the primary decision maker when it came to major purchases, such as uh, cars, home renovations, but just 9% of women agreed. So... Huh. It's possible we're not all on the same page with who's making the decisions, but hopefully someone is. Thinking about it, so that when I think of like our 401k, my 401k, I make the decisions in that. But my wife does sort of more of the day-to-day finances, and she looks at that and is more aware of how much is actually in there. Right. And we talk about it. So I can see how I would say I make most of the decisions, but she would say it's kind of a group thing. I don't know. We'll see. No, I mean, that's very typical, right? That the woman handles the day-to-day spending and maintenance of the house and the people and the feeding, and then the husband kind of does the longer view right. looking at retirement stuff. It's pretty. Co- I don't think that's uncommon. Yeah. But no. I could see how we would have different ideas about who's making the decisions and who has responsibility for what. Yeah. Yeah. All right. When it comes to shared accounts, shared financial accounts, most couples combine all of their money. So this is coming from the TD Bank Love and Money survey. Fifty-four percent have combined all uh, of their money, and thirty percent have combined most of their accounts. It turns out boomers are most likely to combine all of their accounts, whereas LGBT couples are more likely to keep it totally separate. Interesting. We're, we're totally we're we're totally combined. Yeah, my wife has her own business, so she has a lot of some of that stuff is in her own name. Like She has her business account and her business credit card and stuff like that. So, would you have said that you have most of their money? I would have I would have said, we have combined everything. But then, thinking about it, I would have realized that that's yeah. actually not true. All right. All right. So, here's the last major one I'm going to trot out here. From the TD Bank Love Study, 62% of people talk about money with their partner at least once a week. Really? I know. I find that hard to believe too. Like it makes you wonder like what are these conversations that they are having? Like if it's like, hey, money, good mu- thing. <laughs> we we got it. Did you we go don't. to work today and earn money? Good. Good check. <laughs> Glad we talked about money. Yeah, so 62% of people said they talk about money with their partner at least once a week, but here's what I think is more important. To the people they talk to, the more often they said they talked about money. They had a higher level of happiness with their significant other. So, 78% who talk at least once a week say they are happy, compared to just 50% who talk less than every month. So, even if you are not having an in-depth talk about your money, <laughs> apparently it still helps. Which yes. is, I think, the bottom line of all of this research, is that the more you talk, the better you are going to be, both happy and probably money-wise. Yeah, I totally agree. So yeah, the point is is that communication is key and to help us and help you guys to have better communication with your schmoopy, we're actually going to have a show in a couple weeks with our special guest Olivia Mellon and she's going to talk more about uh, resolving money conflicts, talking about money, all that good stuff. Two very interesting things that she will likely bring up is number one, she thinks you should have at least one talk once a year and that you should have some of your finances separate, which I found very surprising. So yeah. just to tee that up a little bit. talked 
talked about it's important for couples to communicate well. And one of the things that Bro has written on many times, many times, is the Foolywed game. Did mm-hmm. you create this with Diana? You know, it's so funny. I was trying to remember because this comes from like early 2000s. And I think it was a group effort with Diana and maybe with the help of also of a fellow named David Braze who used to write the retirement, the retiree report for The Motley Fool in the early days. But yes, I think I had a hand in it, but I don't remember at this point. So the idea of the Foolywed game is it, the, and you can read the whole article on Fool.com, just Google Foolywed game. It'll turn up. With a Y. It'll pop up. Um, the idea is like, here's some questions for each of you to go away and answer and come back and share and compare. Right. And so what we decided to do was to, uh, have our spouses go away and answer some of the questions, and we would answer them too and share and compare. So, uh, and my my wife a- emailed her answers to you, yes. and Ron a- emailed his answers to me. Right. So you don't know. We don't know what our spouses answered. No, we don't. Okay. All right. So, uh, should we just get into it? Let's do it. Okay. So the first question is: How often do you talk about the family finances? <laughs> Ron's answer was. I try to discuss these once a month, but I generally don't have Allison's full attention. It's more often I just announce family finance facts to everyone, anyone who's willing to listen. <laughs> That's not true. I listen. I, I, I put that we talk at least about once a week about investing and where the money is a lot. Usually we'll talk like while we're walking to work, we'll do it over coffee in the morning. I, well, all right. Apparently I need to be a better listener. <laughs> all right. Elizabeth, your wife, said, Oof, it depends on what you mean by talk about it. Our kids would say we mention money all the time. I would say once a month for most stuff, once every three for bigger conversations. Yeah, that's probably probably right. Earlier in our marriage, it was more formal, and we've gotten away from that, and I'd like to get back into a more formal discussion. Do you still it. do your state of the family finances? We haven't report? done that in a while, but we have to do that. In fact, we just this weekend had a discussion about college expenses and how we really have to see where we are right now. Yeah. yeah. All right, next question. How much is too much to spend without consulting your partner? I said $200. Ron said $500. What? <laughs> what is he buying? Uh, well, he didn't provide a list, but yeah, he said about Maybe $500. he should provide an itemized list. <laughs> All right, bro, what do you think? Uh, I, I actually was thinking uh, between $300 to $500, too, but it sort of depends on what it is. I'm, I'm less... If it's furniture, it's probably lower. If it's something for the kids, it's probably higher. All right. Well, your wife put three hundred generally, but if you include gifts, hmm, I spend more than that. Your yeah. wife's email was very conversational. I've actually like <laughs> I've never really met her or talked to her, but I could hear her voice in my head. Uh, yeah. So you guys are roughly on the same page with yeah, that. I would say so. All right. So next question: You get one thousand dollars back as a tax refund. What would you spend it on? What would you spend it on? So. Um, Generally speaking, uh, I would probably set aside like a hundred dollars to go buy like some sort of asymmetrical or otherwise intriguing sweater at Marshall's, and then the rest just goes into the kitty, and it just gets doled out to to get spent on everything, everyday stuff. Well, Ron said so. You would probably save most of it. Yes, that's true. But if you would spend any of it, it would be on clothes or something for herself. Yes, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, all right. What would you spend your tax return refund on? I'd go to college savings. I think that's that's our number one priority right now. Yeah. So your wife wrote that you would save it if you had to spend it. He'd use it on a trip, preferably hiking or camping in a Christmas lodge. <laughs> what is a Christmas lodge? I don't know, but as soon as I find one, I'm spending money on it. <laughs> All right. What would um, next question is? What would your partner spend it on? So a thousand back as a tax refund. 
I think it'd be something for the house. We bought the we were in a new house since last August, and we're still trying to fill it up a little bit. Uh, she said, "Books, our kids, or a family vacation." Really? Yeah, maybe you can align Christmas Lodge with that family vacation. <laughs> That's true. And I can definitely see the books. She is a huge reader. I mean, uh, not that she's a huge person. She just reads a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think Ron would save it. He would just allocate it all across our budget. Like, he wouldn't do anything fun with it at all. Yeah, and that's what he said. He put it to the new house <laughs> the new house savings account, or maybe your daughter's college fund. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't have fun with money very often. <laughs> Alright, if your main squeeze was a superhero, which superhero would he or she be? Do you want to guess what your wife thought you would be? Uh, well, the only thing that comes to mind for me personally is Batman, because when I was a kid, I loved Batman. Well, your wife said Superman, of course. Really? But, oh, is that because? What did she say? But get him to tell you about his stint as Captain Planet or as the dead body in a play. I suffered through that whole play just to watch his back slumped over. That's when I knew it was love. <laughs> yes, I did. I did appear as Captain Planet in various Washington, D.C. events, including at the White House back in the 90s. What? What? Why? It's it's a well. Captain Planet was a Turner Broadcasting yeah. cartoon. Uh, my roommate at the time had a friend who worked at Turner Broadcasting, and they said, "Do you know anyone who'd be willing to wear some sort of outrageous costume at the White House?" And he said, "I know just the guy." <laughs> I had no idea. I had to bring in some pictures. It was a pretty cool costume. Yes, you'll have to bring in some pictures. And then apparently, you were also a dead body in a play. That must have been a a hit to your ego that you were cast as a dead body. Well, it was because uh, the play was happening at our the school where we taught, because I had a great theater, um, and I got to know the people who worked in the play, and the guy who was supposed to play the dead body got arrested and went to jail, so they needed someone last minute to sit in a wheelchair and act like a dead body, and they asked if I'd do it, and there you go. <laughs> All okay. right, so if, I, if my main squeeze was a superhero... I made up my own superhero. This wasn't a pre-existing one, sorry. Okay. I get, maybe I didn't obey the rules. But I made up the superhero of Renaissance Man! Dun, dun, dun! Because Ron is equally artistic, analytic, thoughtful, silly. Um, he's just all around perfect. Oh, isn't that nice? Oh, it's true. He can do anything. Yeah. He can do anything. Uh, well, this is funny. He said he would be a Jedi Knight because he's always <laughs> coming up with innovative ways to use the Force. <laughs> All right, so then we ask our significant others, what superhero would they be? All right, what what superhero do you think your wife would be if she was a superhero? Uh, I, I actually would, if there were a superhero called Supermom. She is just made to be a mom, and she's awesome at it. So she said, he'll say Wonder Woman, but I always wanted to be Isis. Does anyone remember Isis? Rick does. Who's Isis? Isis. It was Captain Marvel and Isis Hour on TV. Yeah. Um, she used to... She didn't quite spin around like Wonder Woman, but she said, Oh, mighty Isis, and she got the power of the Egyptian goddess and could pretty much do all the stuff Wonder Woman could do. I yeah. think you've got a fun thing you can surprise your wife with in the I future. Know, right? <laughs> you know Bro's next Halloween costume. Yeah, sure. Isis. <laughs> they still make underoos. Maybe I'll find some Isis underoos. Um, all right, and as far as what superhero I would be, again, I made up my own, and it's Pioneer Woman, because I can sew, I bake bread, I grow my own vegetables, I, would, I could milk a goat if it came to it, but I don't think it ever will. He said you'd be the Avatar, probably an airbender. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching a lot of that show lately. <laughs> I guess so. That's pretty funny. I don't know if I would be an airbender. We don't need to really go into this discussion, but <laughs> let's not go there. 
All right, so there you go. Those are just a few questions from the Foolywed game to help get a money conversation going with your schmoopy. And like I said, you can find it online by just Googling Foolywed game and it should pop up. Yep. All right, that's the show. I want to thank our our own schmoopies for letting us put them through that exercise. <laughs> I think we married well. We did. I think we did. Uh, our email is answers at fool.com. The show is edited... Romantically? Romantically. <laughs> by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.